Whoa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Connor Hallway of the Golden Hours Podcast, and I must admit, my voice sounds pretty robust right now. This is a GDP Minute. It's our Golden Deer Productions feature for the Alexa slash Amazon skill. And Big Fresh and I, a.k.a. Boo 617, are developing a bit where we're just going to give you a quick 45-second synopsis of the episode. And if my sales pitch is strong, hopefully you'll go and listen to the full episode because we want to provide some hashtag value. So the most recent episode of the Golden Hours podcast, we ran with Chris McIntosh and Mike Yokin of Bay State Financial. And so it was the first time we've had anybody in big corporate business up on the show. And to be honest, they're great guys, man. They're hustlers. They were just very driven their entire lives. Chris actually started out as a mega entrepreneur when he was like 23. He owned uh, an environmental advertising book. And Mike started up the company with Dave Porter. And now Bay State's one of the most reputable financial institutions in Boston. And so any value you can get from this episode, one... These corporate people are real people. Two, they give a little bit of a synopsis on three to four things that you can do if you're young in personal finance. Three, they discussed how to be successful. And I know that sounds totally broad and totally generic, but their big thing they said is like, you just got to be persistent. I think at our age, if you're listening, I'm 23. If you're within 10 years, me on the other side, a lot of us lack patience. And one thing they said is you just got to be at it every day and outwork everybody. I know that's totally stereotypical of anybody talking about success, but that's what they said. There's a lot of talk about finance in there, a lot of talk about business, but those are my big takeaways. I hope you guys enjoy it. All you got to say is, hey, Alexa, play a GDP Minute. Big Fresh, done. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. When you guys were growing up, right? You're, yep. bo- you're both, I can already tell Chris is a competitive psycho, okay? <laughs> you know, I feel you. I am too, man. Mike, I feel it in you too. You got a little sales sense in you. I push it down a little bit, but yeah. yeah. Growing up, were you like, hey, man, I would love to be the head of a corporate company or were you like growing up? I'd love to do this or that. Not to, you want, you want me to go first? Yeah, sure. So I growing up, um, my family owned restaurants. So they owned something, a, a restaurant called Yokin's restaurant. Darcy blows. It was up in Portsmouth. What, what genre of seafood, seafood. So the one up in Portsmouth, my grandmother, and grandfather started ran it was huge i mean you go up there the sign's still up there the restaurant's gone been gone since i think 2000 um and my father started uh one in 19 uh i'm gonna say in 1963 he started another one in danvers where i'm from and um you know he ran it so the kind of the entrepreneurial world has always been part of my world you know so that entrepreneurial kind of view has always been in my family Always. And, you know, it's having that, it just kind of puts something in the back of your head. Like, listen, I don't want to work for anybody. Oh, oh God, what's going on? Where am I going? Dad? Yes, my son. I am Deuce, the dear God. I'm so confused. Who am I? Derek. Your true name is Dercules. 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 
Wait, what? Yes, you are Hercules, the god of the forest. <laughs> Season five. Hosted by your favorite podcast host, Big Bochy. You already know the deal, motherfucker. What's up? On my right, I have two people on my right. I have Chris McIntosh, the CMO of Bay State Financial. And then I have, would you like me to call you Mike or Michael? Mike. Mike is fine. Mike. Everybody calls me Mike. Magic Mike. There you go. I got Magic Mike Yokin <laughs> all the way to my right. And you are partner yep. at Bay State. You got it. And you started Bay State? Um... With Dave? Well, Dave bought it in 1996. Basically, it's been around since 1901. And uh, we had nine advisors in 1996 when we, he and I started together. Whoa. Yeah. And, and now how many are employees with the company? Uh, we have 320 advisors throughout New England. And, uh, Chris is over here nodding his head like, yeah, we do. 650 employees. <laughs> no. a monster. Yeah. Yeah, that's wow. why my hairline matches. Your hairline's not as bad as mine. My hairline's worse. Oh, you my. used to have full hair. No I way. Oh, I had a, like a big thing going on. Brown hair? Yep. <laughs> yep, 20 pounds thinner. It's right. all good. Yeah. I, hey, I got you guys teased today. Come on. I, I texted Chris. I said, hey, Chris, what size are you? He goes, double XL. Yeah. Fat boys. Fat boys. <laughs> I was like, all right. Yeah. Suit and tie. Uh, do you guys kind of want to just give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do real quick? Go ahead, buddy. Sure. So Chris McIntosh, CMO, Bay State. I also run their executive uh, foundation. I'm the executive director of the Bay State Foundation, which Dave founded in 1999. We serve um, underprivileged kids, foster kids in, in and around the city and basically in the Bay State footprint. So we raise just shy of a million dollars a year and we write about 40 checks out to other charities uh, in support of their work. Is this all uh, Boston-based charity? Uh, you know, in our footprint, so we're in, we're a New England-based company, so we, we go up to Vermont. We, we sponsor a dragon boat race on Lake Champlain, for instance, and, and the, you know, seven dollars $8,000 we raise up there goes to kids uh, up in the Lake Champlain area. We're down in Rhode Island at Hasbro Children's Center. Uh, raising money down there right. yeah in providence exactly we both we both did some time in providence connor yes, so sir. um you know we're, we're we're all around um obviously bigger uh, our bigger base is in boston um, we do a couple of big fundraisers here uh working on a few more so um but i also the day job is the the brand protection and brand awareness of bay state financial so uh, one thing chris is not mentioning is this dude has had an eclectic, eclectic mix of jobs over the years. So mind you, I tried to do research because you finance guys, the compliance is crazy. Like you can't really learn anything about these guys because people are protective about their money. It's like a black box. Exactly. (laughs) But I did see your LinkedIn profiles. Oh boy. You guys look great on LinkedIn, Mm. man. (laughs) But I, uh, Chris, you initially started, and then we'll get to you, Mike. Sure. Can you explain how you initially started in business? Because you were telling me this story a couple months back, and I've sure. like been captivated ever since. So, I, you know, I, I got uh, recruited to go to college to play baseball, uh, Division two school, uh, played four years at Assumption in Worcester. Uh, the motto there was 2-0 and go. Um, you had to have a 2.0 to stay on the baseball team. I was not there to study. Uh, I did not study. I just played baseball. And hung little out. party, little party, little baseball workout. Um, graduated Were you from. Meathead? Oh yeah, Let's absolutely. Go. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's all about the baseball. So. CrossFit, Chris. That's it. Yes, sir. Um, 
did the hills. Michael knows the hills at Assumption. Uh, yeah, so you and both went to Assumption, right? Yeah. Both did, yeah. yeah. So then, same um, time? No, no, I was ahead of him. Well, like, let me guess, four years. When did you graduate? Ninety-one. So eighty-seven, yeah. yeah so you did do your research. Look at you. Yeah. LinkedIn, man. There you go, man. <laughs> Connor does his homework. So graduated uh, Assumption, um, went to Cape Cod League for one year, um, blew out my arm, and uh, I was a pitcher, and they don't do Tommy John surgery on non-drafted players. So I did not – I needed Tommy John surgery, and I couldn't get it. So I – It was that specialized back then? It the was. Surgery? Yeah, it was very – Most it, people it, can do it now, right? Now kids do it in high school. It's crazy. The bionic um, arm. That's right. That's right. But we didn't have what, it back What then. team did you play for, Cape League? Chatham A's. Let's go. Yeah. That must have been a wild summer, huh? Best summer of my life. I'm sure. Yeah. Abu, are you familiar with the Cape League yeah, baseball? I know the league just got good. Well, so I spent a summer down the vineyard, and the vineyard started up um, the MV Sharks, which is one, it's not like the Cape League. It's like the Brockton Booster League, and they'll go to Worcester and stuff. But these kids were living. They were like island celebrities. So I'm imagining it was – Pretty similar, much, right? Much like that. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. CrossFit Chris back there was in the some good. There was some good talent down there. A lot of kids, a couple kids on my team got drafted. So it was, it was some good talent. But um, washed out of there, came came back up to Boston from, from the Cape. And uh, I didn't have any idea what I wanted to do. I went to an environmental trade show. Um, and I, I was an idiot back then. I uh, still an idiot today. But I, I – Paid $35 or $25 to park in the parking lot to go into this Where's trade Seaport? show. It was at the Heinz Convention Center, and I had a bunch of resumes, and I my goal was to get a job at an environmental company. So I paid $25, which is what I had on me, to park, and I didn't realize you had to pay for a ticket to get into these trade shows. So I had to sneak into the trade show. Sweet so talked my way by, and I'm walking up and down the aisles uh, with my resume, and this guy comes walking at me with all these badges on his on his lapel, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna get busted for it's you know not being in the right place at the right time. And he actually was the gentleman that ran and created this trade show, and he saw me, and he was like, oh, it's a young kid. What you know wanted to ask me what I thought of the trade show. So we got to talking, and I said, this is amazing. You got. You know, you must have 30 environmental companies. How did you get them all together? And I he's really like, need a job, man. Well, he was like, you know, it was hard to find all these environmental companies. And I said, isn't, you know, isn't there a directory? Isn't there like a yellow pages of environmental companies? And he's like, no, there's nothing like that. So boom, the next day I created the green book, which so fire, which was an environmental directory of, envi of companies. And so I what was it listing? It was just like any, if you. If you're an environmental company and you pull tanks or you uh, you do asbestos abatement or lead abatement or remediation or anything in the environmental space, you're listed under those categories. And we sold – I sold advertising and we sold bold listings. You know, People would call me up and be like, how much is it to like bold my listing? And we didn't even have that as a category. So I was like, um, how much do you want to pay? And he's like, you know, it was like $1,000 a listing. And I'm like done, you know. Yeah. We just we kind of. How old are you? Like 23. That was 23. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So and I, so I I launched that company. I uh, created a uh, what I thought was a unique business model. I hired all high uh, all college graduates, all girls, and I gave them every Friday off. So they worked Monday through Thursday for me, and they had every Friday off because they would all come in hungover on Fridays anyway, mm -hmm. and I was getting no productivity. So why pay them? So they all worked Monday through Thursday, um, three you know four day work week. 
I'd take phone calls from their parents complaining why they didn't have health insurance. I so said, what are they doing? Just like talking to no, they went, wholesalers and sponsors. So and yeah, we were, we were researching environmental companies, putting them in the database, um, preparing to publish the directories. We published directories in the 10 different EPA regions. Of, there's, the EPA breaks the country down into 10 regions. So we published a Northeast, a Mid-Atlantic, a Southeast. We would go to trade shows. We give the book away for free and people in the industry use it. And then they want to be listed in it. They want to advertise in it. Uh, it was a great little business model. So for reference, for anybody listening or watching, if anybody remembers like back in the day, there were yellow pages, like the big fat books where you would like see the numbers and businesses would list their phone numbers. It was essentially the same thing, but only, only environmental. Only for environmental, focused. correct. Right. And environmental back then, this is 91, 92. I was going to say this started, before the whole global warming. This started going. to, environmental back then was really starting to, um, to come to be popular, you know, taking care of the, taking care of asbestos, taking care of lead, taking care of the soil, um, you know, clean air admissions, clean water admissions, th- emissions, things like that. So it was starting to be popular. So it really caught on. Um, two years in, I went to venture capital. Um, literally did. Yeah, how a, did you have the startup in the first place? Uh, credit it? card. Yeah. I like that. Bad debt and credit card. You know, literally cash in, pay pay people thirty days, sixty days, ninety days later, beg for forgiveness. So you were just hustling. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's it was, go. We're in the back of Mike's um, over here smiling. Yeah, yeah he loves was, that type of hustle. Yeah. So, um, but two and a half years in, we had a pretty good uh, business going and um, some sales. Uh, you know, we're making some money and. Uh, growing and we went to I, 45 seconds elevator pitch literally at a venture capital firm it took me less than a minute to get two million dollars what um, was that like that was crazy and what are you like 25 25 wired into my bank account um we opened up who in, was it uh it's called unc ventures on 7-eleven atlantic ave in boston they were they were headquartered and there. have you always just had a sales skill no I, we had a great we had a great business model they, they, they were a communications-based venture capital company. They put us in a portfolio with 10 or 11 other companies. They loved what we were doing. We grew it. They gave us uh, some advisory oversight. Um, I would go in there once a month for board meetings. I learned a lot that way. Um, what I didn't learn was that I should have had a, a lawyer and a CPA look at the documents um, because when we but- sold the company, we, you know, we got 12 times earnings. Um, and I had what's called preferred stock B. Okay. You're going to have to elaborate. B sucks. B's whack. We yeah. want A. We want, want A. a. Yeah. Mike's not want said a. He wants the A stock. Yeah, so yeah. get a get a CPA, get a lawyer to look at stuff before you. I didn't care. They were going to wire $2 million into my account. As fast, I was going to say you're 25 years old. There's $2 million. Sign away. How much did, you, did your mindset change at that point, having access on to the, that much money? On the flight down to Miami to party, it changed a lot. Oh, did you party instantly? Oh, yes, we did. <laughs> oh, my God. Did you fly yes, first class? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay, of private. course you did. Private. Wow. Private out of hands. Private. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, out of hands. Uh, private. Private out of hands. Nothing large. Look oh, at you. Whoa. Me. Okay, we'll we'll jump over to Mike, and then we'll do a little bouncing back and forth. Sure. So your start in business, you leave assumption. What happens? I thought I was going to be an accountant. I was an accounting major. Assumption. You do you hate it? Oh, uh, I went there. I went to for I went to work for a company that is now out of business because they defrauded the Medicaid and Medicare system. Um, and I remember I went into this company and uh, the way I describe them is it, it was, it was a beige office with beige people who wore beige clothes, who ate beige food, who drove beige cars, lived in beige homes. Everything was like beige. There was no Bland. color. Uh, completely. 
And, and in the back of your mind, you want that fast-paced business. I want something going on. Nice. Other than everybody just showing up at the same time and just kind of doing the thing every single day over and over and over again. So I get there. They go, okay, you're an accountant. Great. No, really no training. They, they hand me the, uh, the payroll uh, account to, to settle, make sure it works. Do that. Give it back to them. Kind of the next month, they give it to me again. I'm like, I got to do this again? Like, yeah, well, every month you got to do it. And I kind of like saw, I'm like, this is, this is going to be awful because I'm going to be doing the same thing over and over and over again every single month for the rest of my, this is, I got to get out of here. That lasted three months. Terrible. Awful. Awful. Went to work for a bank. That was okay. Then my mother's financial advisor said, you know, he'd be really good as a financial advisor. Jumped out of the bank, took my test, went to work for well, what was the test? Series seven. Series seven, seven sixty three. Yeah, back then, all paper. That was fun. Was go it to, just scantrons? Yeah, just you go to you go to Northeastern. This is what I did, and you don't do this now. But back then, you go to Northeastern, seven hours, three hours test, hour for lunch, three hour test, in a classroom. Whoa, it was awful. Um, passed that my first time. Rolled into financial planning. Started at a desk, a phone book, and a script, and a phone and. Started selling. There you go. Like, have you guys seen Wolf of Wall Street? The island oh, of yeah. dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think there's some validity to it? Because it's around the same time frame, yeah. right? Yeah, there's some validity to oh, it. Yeah. I had a lot of fun, I mean, back then. So th- then how did you get into the music industry? The music industry? Yeah, isn't that what you're saying? Yeah, that was um, that was in college. So I got in... in a little promoting? Yeah, so I was, in, uh, I was in the lunch line as a freshman. And the guy who was running... All the bands at Assumption was uh, leaving. He was a senior. And they just, just kind of know why they picked me out of the blue. They're like, hey, man, you want to do, want to book the bands at Assumption? I'm like, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. But yeah, sure, why not? Why not? So it was 1983. Um, and we booked bands and I traveled all over. And there was a place, you'll remember this, the place in the uh, in Boston called The Channel. Sure. Long gone. Where is that now? Where was the channel? On Neko Street, but it's you know going into like into into the seaport. I was gonna say, well, there's a street called Channel Center Street. I'm wondering if it's, it's like, now over by A Street. Yeah. yeah, okay, it's like right near where State Street offices, like right there. Kind of, yeah, the new one. Okay, yeah. so that place was going seven nights a week, all bands, all live music, and I would be there probably five nights a week on the guest list. Walking in, I worked for a couple of different promotion uh, companies in Boston, lighting company in Boston. And I was kind of all over the place. So how, why in your right mind, if you're a promoter and like you love the chaos, did you think being an accountant was going to work? <laughs> there was no way. I mean, you both are like, parents. Yeah. It was a pressure from your parents. No, you, listen, you know, you, in, in life you, you, tr- you try stuff and it doesn't work and it's okay because you're 20, you're 19, 18, 22, 23 years old. That's okay. That's what you should be doing. Well, do you both think so? You're both you've ascended to certain points of your careers, and we'll get back to the, your story and rising up a little bit. But have you noticed that you kind of like the, when business gets a little chaotic and fast paced? Like, do you guys feed off of that kind of, or we can yeah. start with you, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you like it. Yeah, I do too. The more, the more, you know, controlled chaos, right? So the more, uh, the more chaotic. Uh, as long as you can, you know, control it, as long as you can find a means to the end. But, you know, a little bit of chaos, a little bit of uh, d- disruption is the new word these days, you know, disruptive, technology disruptive. 
even back then we were disruptive doing some of the things that we did, some of the things that I did in the in the newspaper business and in the, you know my subsequent career, careers after after the the Green Book. Um, well, I'm imagining the Green yeah. Book like you were posted up in. Did you have a house or one family house, and then you had all these high school girls coming in, and then no, we had just... a we had Class B space in Andover. I mean, we were legit. Um, this was so you really a oh yeah boss we had, man, we, had like we had we huh? rented space we had uh, conference rooms I mean we had I had uh, thirteen people working for me at the time I mean this was a decent operation we we put a lot of um, you know a lot of information in in a quick way I mean we found you know you have to publish every three months to make money you don't have these are annual directories but. Um, we would we had them every every three months we were publishing a directory otherwise we would be sitting around for nine months waiting for the next one to come you know so we had to quickly roll out so we needed I needed people working on the different regions all the time selling and entering data verifying data and then we put it together and publish it uh, print it distribute it I mean we published it on recycled paper with soybean ink and our our motto was if you didn't like the book you could eat it you know? Was that the slogan for the Green Book? Yeah, it was just a, kind of our internal slogan. It wasn't um, it wasn't our tagline. It should but, have been the Green Book, yeah. run by a great guy. No, so it was <laughs> it was a cool it was a cool business. I learned a lot there. I, I mean, I'd I'd work you know till five thirty at night in a suit and tie, then take the tie off, go in the back room and and work on the printing. Like uh, you know, we had a high speed xerography machine, so we would do some printing back so 16 there. So, hour day every oh, day. Oh yeah, yeah, and then go home and. You know, hang out with my buds, drink beers, and get up and do it all again the next day. You know. So. So have you guys noticed? And I'll bring this to you, Mike. Have you noticed some of the <clears throat> the advantage the advantages early on in, in being an operator? Has it transcended to this point in your career? Because especially as a promoter, like you're an organizer, you have to learn how to communicate with people, kind of be political. Yeah. Have, have you noticed some crossover? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know to be successful, you got you got to learn how to how to talk to people. And you got to learn how to communicate and get your ideas across and have people go, okay, yeah, that kind of makes sense. And if they don't think it makes sense, then you got to talk to them and bring them over to your side. So, yeah. I mean, I think the, the worst thing today is, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday about it, is, you know, we were talking before we came on about all the generations. And uh, if I can give any advice to anybody, learn how to talk to people. Would you concur, Chris? Absolutely. Learn how to talk yeah. to people. I've told my kids. How are me and Abu doing? Are you, we good you, at talking? Abu, you, Abu's quite a quiet there. Yeah, because well, he's, th he's thinking. He's the yeah, he's, How can we get some money out of these guys? <laughs> yeah. I got a couple good ideas for tech. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, it, you know, I, I've told my kids, no matter what you do, no matter what you do in life, I don't care if you're a doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, you're in sales. Uh, no matter what you do. For sure. Because, well, if you're in America. Yeah. I mean, think about it. If you're a doctor and your bedside manner stinks and people don't like you, they're going to go somewhere else, right? Referrals, right? We're going straight to MGH. We want that top quality. There you go. Does Basie have a partnership with MGH? Yeah, we know who do the financial planning. Yeah, I'm sure. So, okay. So, how do you guys get get to Bay State? Are you guys just young, corporate, and hungry? Like, let's go make some money, man. Yeah, let me. I did probably the dumbest move ever before I came to Bay State. Mike, what are you doing? I'm telling you, man. So, I was working, I was running an investment. Um, department at a small bank on the North Shore. Whereabouts? Uh, up in Ipswich. Okay. So um, I was hired. I was going to run that. Uh, just married. Built the house. My wife, Heidi, was pregnant. Awesome. Everything's going great. Um, bank president who owned 65% of the bank wanted to run the program. He hired me to run the program. 
And kind of my mindset is, if you hire me to do it, I'm going to do it, then I'm going to do it. Kind of stay out of my way. Get it done. He didn't get it. Oh, you wanted autonomy. I want autonomy. And he didn't get it. And he kept pushing back and pushing back and saying, oh, you got to do this. And not really understanding the business. He was asking questions that didn't need to be asked. And I was answering him, but he, he thought he knew more than he did. Okay, and he didn't. So you're still pissed at this I'm guy. really frustrated. <laughs> I'm beyond frustrated. So I'm walking by him in the hallway one day, and uh, it's a Thursday, and I go, hey, I just want to know, I'm out of here. He goes, great, when are you going to be back? I said, no, I don't think you understand the definition of I'm out of here. And I said, I got to go. He goes, why? I said, because I'm either going to kill you or kill myself, and I don't want to be in for murder, and I certainly don't want to die. Um, and I, I, can't, I can't do this. And so what's he say? He's like, you're kidding, I'll change. I said, listen, you're whatever old he was, 65 years old. I'm like, you're not going to change. And you run the bank, and I get it. But let's just part as friends. And we still talk today. Um, even though you still want to kill him. Even though, no, he was, he was cool. He was very, very good about it. Right. So anyway. One punch in your fist, man. I know, sorry. <laughs> Sweating a lot, yeah. too. That's not what I heard. Um, but uh, so that was on a Thursday. Heidi and I went away. Again, she was pregnant, just built a house. And uh, um, the next day. Tuesday, I went out to dinner with a bunch of friends. One of them who worked at that time for the Patriots, still worked for the Patriots, my wife's cousin. I go, hey, if anybody knows anybody anywhere, I need a job. Like, I got to find something to do. I can't hang around. You're bored. Yep. That was on a Tuesday. My wife's cousin said, hey, I know this guy, Dave Porter. He's hiring people. I said, great, give him my name. Dave called me on a Wednesday, met with Dave on Thursday, Friday, Monday, Thursday, and started the next Monday, and that was November 4th, 1996. And... Kind of by accident. 96. 96. 23 years ago. Almost 24. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, we, have not, we had nine guys back then. Nine advisors back then. And this was Dave's idea. He goes, we're going to start up this financial management company. Yeah. He moved up from Washington. Bought, he was running a firm down there. He always wanted to get back to New England. He was born here. And, um, you know, he came up and bought the firm in August. I think it was August 6th of 96. And he goes, he goes, I need someone to lead this ship. It, I'm, I'm looking for Mike Yoke. Yeah, I don't think he was going. To, you know, I don't think he's saying that, but yeah, but he needed a manager, and I would. I didn't want to be. I didn't want to. I wanted to help people in this business. I want to help people grow in this business, in the financial planning business, and uh, kind of my view when I was in the in the, when I was an advisor at other companies, their whole motto was, "Hey, listen, you want to be successful? Yeah, okay, do this, make more dials, see more people, get more referrals, go get them." And then I go back year after year and be like, okay, well, how do I mold my practice? How do I do this so it's I'm not working from seven in the morning to nine o'clock at night? How do I how, do this? How, how can I be more effective? Yeah, how do I run it like a business? You know what, Mike? Get more referrals, see more people, make more dials, go get them. This is Dave's advice. No, this is this is before I got to Dave. Okay. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Like I'm on a, I'm on a rat wheel, just running and running and running, and not really getting anywhere. But by, by the way, I'm working till nine o'clock at night. Manager's home. At six with his family. This is the guy who owns sixty five percent of the bank. Yeah. Okay. So you do still hate this guy's guy? No, I don't hate the guy. <laughs> I don't hate the guy. But but I'm, I'm you know it, but I want I didn't want people to go through that. So Dave and I kind of hooked up, and he said, you know, what gets you going in the morning? I said, what gets me going in the morning is this: helping a guy or gal be successful, having them walk across stage, get an award. I'm in the back of the room. They come by me, and they just go, "Hey, thanks," and just keep walking. But I know the impact I have on them, and that's kind so of. So you never wanted to put your face on anything. Not, not necessarily that. It's just I'm really in. I really believe in servant leadership. Like, hey, I'm going to do it for your reasons, not mine. I really want you to be successful for you, and if you're successful for you, 
that's going to translate to me. So I think that's uh, that's going to be hard for some people to understand because I think a lot of people get the the notion that if you're in personal finance, it's such a lucrative field that yep. most people in personal finance are in it because they want to make a lot of money. Yeah, but think about it. If if you're a financial advisor, right? Your whole goal is to help your clients. If your clients are happy and successful and making money, and protected, and protected, then what are they doing? They're not going to leave you, so they're going to stay as your client, and they're going to refer you to other people. So again, to be a good financial advisor, you kind of have to be in servant leadership as well, because you really want to take care of the people who take care of you. If you make it all about you, you're not going to be successful. Okay, so. quick segue over to Chris. So you're working for the Boston Business Journal at the time, or? Right before Bay State, yes. Yeah, I was okay. running the – I was the publisher and market president of the Boston Business Journal for 12 years. Okay. Here. Before you continue, I just want to say I learned so much from when you told me that because I was like, wow. This guy, Chris, probably met everybody in the city. And I, and there is a couple of reasons why I started the show in the first place, but that was one of them because I was like, yo, if you meet everybody in the city, you're going to have so many more opportunities. Correct. So thanks, Chris. Yeah. You're a great guy. You got it, Connor. So do you want to kind of talk about that? So I, you know, my, you know, I cut my teeth in publishing with the green book and I fell in love with it. I saw how much money you can make, how, how, uh, as to Mike's point, you know, you were all in sales. Um, I love the chase. I love the, you know, tracking down somebody, um, selling that advertising, selling that program, figuring out how to put something together, how to elevate a company exposure, brand, all those, all those cool things back then print was huge. You know, print wasn't dead. Um, so when I sold the company, uh, when the venture capital company sold, um, the green book, I was offered a job in New York city, but I'm not a big city kid. So I stayed here. I actually went to work for the Boston business journal selling advertising. I wanted to stay in publishing. I was dying to stay in publishing. You had a marketing sense always or. Yeah. I mean, just kind of not, not certainly not educated that way, but just to, you know, Running my own business taught me a lot of, of uh, how to market. I went to all the trade shows. I did everything. I mean, I was chief cook and bottle washer at that company. I, I went to trade shows. I interviewed copy machine dealers. I worked on health plans. I mean, I learned, I learned everything. I print. emptied the trash. I ordered copy paper from Staples. I mean, I did everything. So um, I I just wanted to stay in, in publishing and stay in advertising. So I got a job at the the Boston Business Journal, I ran... Uh, uh, you had did, sold the company. I had sold the company, and the company was uh, sold to McGraw-Hill in New York City and, yeah. and turned into um, a bigger entity. So you're sitting um, on a big check. Like, I could wait a couple months. Yeah, pretty much. Right. Played a lot of golf, realized that um, my friends all work, so I used to. they used to call in sick to play golf with me, and then they ran out of sick time, so I ran out of friends to play golf yeah. with, so I had to go back to work. To, to meet some new golf right. friends. So I bought a house, destroyed that with a chainsaw for a while, um, <laughs> and then had a contractor come in and fix all the things that I destroyed that I didn't like about the house. <laughs> so that was cool. Um, but went back to work, sold advertising, um, ran sales for the Boston Business Journal for about eight, eight, seven or eight years, and then realized that the publisher, the guy at the top of the food chain above me, um, in my opinion, didn't know what he was doing, and I had better and more answers. 
the only way for me to get to his position because I was making him look good with all my all my sales and all my uh, special supplements and things that we were doing in the industry. You felt like he was piggybacking off yeah. all of your work. Yeah, and, and, and I wanted his job. And the only way to get that job was, uh, honestly, was to leave the company. So uh, much like Mike, I said, you know what, I'm done here. Um, I actually went to the West Coast. I went to Malibu, uh, Malibu, California, and I hooked up with um, Rob Report Magazine, um, then owned by Kirkco Media out in Malibu. And I became a publisher for Kirkco Media and published, I created three magazines for Rob Report under that Rob Report brand. Rob Report is the most exclusive magazine in the world, very high net worth individuals, very affluent readers. Um, page you know i was selling how much was the subscription at the time you can't you can't buy it so um, you have to qualify to get it you have to have a yacht a plane you know things like is that, that. So, it's still out oh yeah yeah You're making me feel broke man yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah it's not for are the, you, are it's you not subscribed? for the faint of heart no i can't get it you can't get it That's the idea. can you get it well, no, Chris has connections. Chris knows everybody. He'll to. get it. So we just got to meet someone really rich. Yeah. Okay, Find let's... somebody with a yacht. They'll they'll have a copy of Rob Report laying around. Well, I, could, um, I know someone with like an eight-foot dinghy with that pass. No, that doesn't count. <laughs> okay. You know. um, so I uh, worked for them. I uh, traveled the country. I had 27 sales reps working for me. I launched three magazines for them. I uh, did that for six years. I was literally sitting in a hot tub in, in Malibu. California watching a otter crack abalone and if you you know I'm a east coast kid to see an otter like dive down get this shell like flip up on its back and crack it open and eat it it's pretty cool to watch especially when you have a couple of cocktails so you're living the high life so I was like into you're this balling. yeah and then I got a phone call from uh, the owner of the Boston Business Journal the parent company and they said we want you to come back and run the BBJ in Boston to, to get that to job take that, that, that job that I wanted they said we know you you have a list in your you know, in your top right-hand drawer of all the things that you want to change about the Boston Business Journal, we're going to give you the opportunity to do that. And I took the job the next day, literally flew back from the West Coast and started. Where'd the publisher go, the one before you? He went down to Charlotte, where they're corporately headquartered. Okay. So they, they, uh, there's a corporate headquarters in, um, in Charlotte that owns 40 different business journals. Can you, yeah, can you elaborate on what the Boston Business Journal was and what it meant to the city at the time? Sure. It was like a very prevalent publication, correct? Well, you know, Boston's one of uh, only a few three newspaper towns or two newspaper towns, as they like to say. Like there's the Globe and the Herald, so the Chicago, uh, L.A., San Francisco are other two newspaper towns. Um, but, but BBJ became relevant. Um, you know, one of the highest accolades I got was from a very prominent CEO uh, after I took over and started making some changes at the BBJ. He said, you guys are relevant now. And I, that's the, that was the biggest compliment I could get from a, a prominent business owner in the city was that they had to think about the BBJ. We had, they had to consider us in their media buys. We were getting in front of more ad agencies and more businesses. So we were growing the, the paper dramatically. And I, I took it from roughly ranked, you know, 26th or 27th in the country to number one in the country. Uh, the number Let's one go, business Chris. journal. The business for animal. A, yeah, for a handful of years. And we had a, we created some killer events. I, I'm, you know, I'm a kid that grew up in Boston. I rented the TD Garden. Um, Whoa. What was that for check? For two years. 100, 180 grand for Wh one day. When? Um, I rented it in 2004 and 2005. How much do you think it is now? I don't know. 250,000. Right? If you can even do it now. They, it took me seven phone calls to get to the right person to, to, to let me rent the garden out. But we threw How many people were there? 1,200. We threw two parties, uh, 1,200 people. 
for our Book a List Gala uh, every January there. And we had uh, experiential marketing. Um, so we had all sorts of displays on the floor. We covered the ice and we turned the penalty box into a tequila bar. Um, we had uh, Sports Club LA there. We had some Audi dealers there driving cars around on the, on the floor. Wild. So it was pretty cool. So um, and we you... sold a ton of that. I mean, we made money. We sold the event. We sponsored the event. We had all the lights um, activated. I had the Drumbotron going. I mean, you could, you know, we sold we sold advertising in there for the event, and it was very successful. When did you get to Bay State? So then in 2000. Did you make the call, Mike? We're like, we got to get this guy, Chris, on board. No, he actually was playing golf with Dave. Yeah, I lost a golf match. So don't play golf with Dave Porter. Why is he good? I lost on the 18th hole, and here I sit. So, uh, <laughs> no. So I um I was just tired of the same thing. Like Mike said, the rigmarole, same thing over and over again. Um, the parent company was kind of stifling the creativity of the business journal. I saw it starting to plateau. Um, we had reported. I had covered Dave Porter. Dave Porter was one of our uh, most admired CEOs. Um, Bay State was was a prominent figure in the you business guys were community. At the time. Yeah. yeah, they were they were doing great things, um, and yeah. we were covering it. And uh, Dave said to me, "Hey, look, I'm I'm thinking about a few moves at Bay State. We might be uh, we might be selling the company to MetLife, and I I need to you know beef up my marketing department. I do a lot of recruiting, having the publisher with a I have a Rolodex of you know 900 CEOs that would pick up the phone for me if I called them right oh, now. Oh yeah, you already knew everybody, right? So what better person to have in the marketing capacity at Bay State uh, when you're bringing on these advisors and the hardest job for an advisor is meeting new people and if we have a guy that can open doors in, in and around the city and meet quality uh, CEOs and quality companies so he made me a, an offer he let me be creative with the department and the marketing side of the of Bay State and here I sit to this day and it was a great Dave, these guys great want raises these guys want raises man <laughs> It's a lot of fun, yeah. so, uh, other than the compliance department. So you know. Yeah, so that's one thing uh, we can segue into. Um, marketing for financial institutions for the uneducated is extremely tough because people are presumably very protective of their money. Yep. That's just human nature. Yep. So what type of issues have you faced in personal compliance in terms of like trying to grow and scale your own business? Mike? The, uh, the challenge is always the lowest common denominator. You get some guy or gal in Opelika, Alabama, who does something wrong, and then they put a wide net over everybody that you can't do this now, or you can't do that, um, from a regulatory standpoint, and it kind of inhibits what you really want to do. You're saying like someone gets greedy. Someone gets greedy, someone does something stupid, you know, made off these ridiculous, stupid Ponzi schemes. You know, in every industry, there are bad people. And I think sometimes, from a regulatory standpoint, they got to take the right steps. But there's sometimes some unintended consequences of those right steps to protect everybody that hurt getting the message out of how financial advisors can really help. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get it. You know, I feel like you want someone who's smarter than you with money to take care of your money. Well, you know what? You need a coach in life. You know, a lot of people have business coaches. You guys love coaches? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So who's that? Who's your coach? Mine? Yeah. Bev Halpern. Shout out to Bev. Who's there you yours? Go. Uh, he doesn't. Incognito. Yeah. He, he belongs to the Rob Report. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, 
everybody needs a coach. I don't care, you know, the, the old adage is, well, Tiger Woods has a coach, and he's one of the greatest in the world. Kepka, I'm sure, has a coach. Mm-hmm. You know, sports teams have coaches. Everybody has a coach. And when it comes to finance, especially with all the information out there, you know, and all the, all the, 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 the information you can get, you can get a hold of from Google and everything else. Everybody has a different opinion. You know, I, I, I was, I was, I was scrolling through the other day online, and there's this new company out there who only sells term insurance. I got no clue what that is. Okay, Abu, do you know? Do you know Abu? No, no clue. All right. Yeah, I see a lot of these financial terms over here. I got gotcha. you. They only sell one type of insurance. Let me put it that way. What is term insurance? Term insurance is you pay a, you pay a premium. For I a, pay the premium. You pay the premium. Okay. For a death benefit amount, so okay. you pay. I'm going to make it up. You pay thirty bucks a month for a million dollars in life insurance coverage. Totally making that up because I don't know what the, what the premium would okay. be. Okay. All right. And it's good for ten years or twenty years, and as soon as you're done paying that, it's over. Right. Okay. If you don't die. You don't get any money. Okay. Your family to be honest, a little lost on the on the term the term insurance. But we'll, we'll talk. Keep going. We'll talk after this. Well, they only sell one type of insurance, and in this in this online kind of blog, they're they're giving all the reasons why you should buy from them this one product, and why you shouldn't buy all these other products from everybody else, and that's just so misleading to me. It's really misleading because, and I actually wrote to them, I'm like, listen, at the end of the day, when it comes to financial services and financial health and well-being and everything else of, of someone's life, they should really sit down and talk to a qualified professional. So just have the conversation. And you might sit down and talk to, if Chris was a, a, uh, a financial advisor, you might sit there and go, Chris is a great guy and I trust him and I'm going to work with him a little bit. Or you might sit in there and go, Chris is not my cup of tea and I'm going to go find somebody else. But you need a coach. You need a mentor. You need something. That's really my belief. There's too much information out there. Big Mike's on the sales pitch. I love it. No. <laughs> I might hire you. <laughs> I don't know if my pockets are fat enough yet. Actually, so with that being said, so I think a lot of kids my age, finance and personal finance and all these terms and all yep. these confusing stuff, Yep. none of us really know what it means. Right. So can you... Can you guys both give kind of a, I know you're more on the marketing side. Can you give a simplified checklist of like three things people can do to kind of get their personal finance in check? Yeah. You want, you want me to do this? Chris? But listen, we're not playing golf at Winchester country club. You understand that? <laughs> Remind you, we're in the back of a warehouse here, man. What'd you call this? This is the hostage situation. There you go. Yeah. It's beautiful. You That's really what we did. should call the studio, the hostage situation. You've really done a wonderful job. Thank you, man. Appreciate <laughs> it. Um, you know what? At the end of the day, it's, it's, do a budget for, for, guy, for guys and gals right out of college. Do a budget. Understand that, that spending money is fun and it makes you feel good. But ultimately, you need to save a little bit. So if you want to move out or you, or you want to It really depends. It really depends on you. You know, my, my son, who's uh, he just graduated from college, he's working in Boston. He's home right now. I told him you should be saving 90% of what you make because he wants to move out. And uh, where does he work? Is he in finance too? He's over at uh, the First Republic Bank in Boston. So he's walking in pops his footsteps, man. Yeah, but he's not coming to Bay State. What, what if he hates his boss? So uh, like, oh, you get sixty five percent. I got a choke <laughs> slam waiting for you. <laughs> he he won't hate his boss. I know his boss. Yeah, um, and he's a good, good guy. Shot. But but it's you know I would say just know what money's coming in and coming out. And one person 
gave me a lot, gave me some great advice years ago. He said, Mike, in life, you can either buy guns or butter. Guns is to protect you. Butter is to make you feel good. He said, just keep putting your money into guns to protect yourself. Not literally, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, this guy sounds like a psycho. No, Whoever he's, said this he's quote. a good guy. But no, he, he means... You Bad know, analogy. Don't yeah. be afraid. Bad don't be afraid. Don't, I, I get it, Don't though. forget, this was in like in the 80s, so it wasn't all... Okay. Wasn't this is before health consciousness. Yeah, and yeah. And NRA and stuff. Right, yeah. You, you had like, you know, fries at lunch. Yeah, I get like it. That. Um, but at the end of the day, it's save a little money, know your budget, and don't go wild on credit cards. That's what I would tell for a, a younger person. Abu, do you like that advice? Yeah, don't blast off all the credit cards. And and believe me, it's like, you know, you get stuff in the mail. Abu, you get stuff in the mail? Like, hey, you got one credit card. Hey, take another one, take another one, take another one. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you got like all this money out in credit cards. You're like, oh, what do I do now? How you important know? is building credit right now? Huge. You got to build credit? Huge. Huge. Why? Chris. <laughs> you, you take this one. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I have a 20-year-old. And I'm telling him the same thing. I'll tell you, you got to build credit just for down the road. You're going to, you want, you know, you're going to grow. You want bigger purchases. You're going to want to move into a house with, you know, sign a lease. You're going to want a car. You're going to want to, and the and banks and credit bureaus want to look and see that you are responsible, that you pay back your debt, that you're, you can manage money. That's what they're looking for. So the, the, the quicker you can do that, the quicker you can build up your credit score, the quicker you can manage money, show, show these institutions that you're able to manage money and, and in a reasonable way. They want a little bit of debt. You should have a little bit of debt, but you want good debt. You don't want high interest red credit card debt. So an auto loan, uh, you know, student loans, things like that are lower interest debts. Those are good debt. Uh, you want to stay away from the 21% credit cards. It feels good to go out and have a great night and do get bottle service at, at you know, Storyville. and The throw, Grand. Throw, yeah, or That's whatever, right? So the Grand or, or Bogota just, or whatever. Just or, want to say officially, I don't know what that is. So Yeah, okay. <laughs> we believe you, Mike. But, you know, as I told my 20-year-old, you don't have to have bottle service and it doesn't have to be on, on your credit card, right? So, no. you know. Well, I think my financial situation is somewhat interesting because I didn't know how big of a deal it was that I did not have any sort of student loan debt until That's I That's huge. Yeah. I, I didn't know. Wildly spoiled. You know what I'm saying? I, I had no clue that was a big deal. Yep. And then I left school and I was like, wait, financially, I'm actually in like the perfect position to yep. start something up on my yeah, own. Absolutely. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I think a lot of my friends, I don't know if this is the same for you, Abu, but do you have a lot of friends that are totally bogged down by student oh, yeah. debt? Are you, do you have debt? I have a little bit, but not too much. But I know some people who are just like... What, yeah. Yeah. what would you recommend for people like that? Well, uh, first of all, my... Like, I got friends who got 200K in debt, man. Well, I, I, my son who just graduated, like I said, you know, he has, he has buddies of his who, you know, they got a thousand bucks a month going out the door in student loans. That's a big deal when you're that's, just starting to catch checks. Well, that's rent. Yeah. So, so move, move in with me in my Civic, and I just sleep in the CVS parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that inhibits that inhibits the growth. Yeah, you know, so because a thousand bucks a month a month is going out, and then you're making whatever you're making, and it's a huge dent. Yeah, and it's going to inhibit you from doing. You got to privatize those loans if you can. Okay, so again, with big terms, let's privatize. Go ahead, Chris. Take it, you know, if if it's a Sally Mae or a MIFA loan, school, you know, t- no one borrowed two hundred thousand privately to, to go to school. So, those are those are institutional loans. You got to try to take it to a private loan. You might need the backing of your parents, or you might need some collateral. That's why it's good to have 
um, you know, credit, but you want to take that loan from whatever it might be an eight percent loan, you could take it down to a two or three percent loan. Because right now, as Mike said, you're paying a thousand dollars a month. You're you're just putting a dent in the in the interest. You're not even really paying much of the principal back. So that two hundred thousand is going to stay there. You're just paying down the interest right now, and that's what that's what those you know those institutional lenders want. So you want to take it private, try to get it lower, try to um, stretch it out a little bit if you can, um, privatize the loan. Okay. Another quick segue. So heard a little bit about the, also you guys enjoying yourself? You having fun? I'm having fun? a great time. Boo, you having a good time? It's definitely a different guest for us, huh? Different speed. <laughs> yeah. I love it though. It's great. Mind you, my, my mother of course works for, I don't know if she at Bay State or she does work with Bay State. I stay uninvolved. Yeah. She's a Bay State advisor. Advisor, she is. yes, yeah, one of the best. Great, yep. shout out to my mom. But when you guys were growing up, right? You're, yep. bo- you're both. I can already tell Chris is a competitive psycho. Okay, <laughs> you know, I feel you. I am too, man. Mike, I feel it in you too. You get a little sales sense in you. I push it down a little bit. But yeah. yeah. Growing up, were you like, hey, man, I would love to be the head of a corporate company, or were you like, growing up, I'd love to do this or that? Not to you want, you want me to go first? Yeah, sure. So I growing up, um, my family owned restaurants. So they owned something a, a restaurant called Yokin's Restaurant. Darcy Blows. It was up in Portsmouth. What, what genre of seafood? Seafood. So the one up in Portsmouth, my grandmother and grandfather started. Ran. It was huge. I mean, you go up there. The sign's still up there. The restaurant's gone. Been gone since I think two thousand. Um, and my father started. Uh, one in 19, uh, I'm going to say in 1963, he started another one in Danvers, where I'm from. And, um, you know, he ran it. So the, kind of the entrepreneurial world has always been part of my world. Um, and then in uh, 72, when I was six, my father died. Uh, my mother stepped in, ran the restaurant, eventually sold it, but then has a couple other companies on the side. So that kind of entrepreneurial, like, hey. Your mom's a hustler. My mom's a hustler. She's 80. And she's she still got that sign company. Yep. So she's still, she's still doing that. And, uh, you know, right before we went on, that she was calling me about her sign company. So, um, but, you know, so that entrepreneurial kind of view has always been in my family, always. And, you know, it, it's having that, it just kind of puts something in the back of your head, like, listen, I don't want to work for anybody. You know, I can't, I can't have five weeks vacation, and you know, someone if I'm not in at nine o'clock, they're like, hey, where you at? Where are you? You know, it's, it's, I couldn't live in that world. I tried it a couple times, but you know, the accounting job at that company. But well, I, that might be confusing for some people though, because you are, you work in corporate finance financial management. Yep. But you're at a certain point in the company, so you have freedom in your day to day. Well. The, the way base State is. So Dave's the managing partner. Greg Mail and myself are partners in the firm. So we own it, the three of us. So we run it. We run the okay. day-to-day. Oh, so you you helped build base State up. Right. Okay. So right. you had a stake in the business when it started. Yep. Well, not when it started. In 04, I became a partner. Okay. So for reference, so if like you're one of my friends in corporate or in an office or something, Mike didn't sign up for base day one day and was like worked in the mail room and then was a partner and then a salesman no you really started the business yeah when it went yeah i mean when dave and i got together we had nine guys or gals okay and then now we have 300 and some odd today i know i've so, heard <laughs> it. but yeah if it's, but that so that always 
you know, I want to be in control of my calendar. I want to be in control of what I do. I want to have vision and be able to take the company and be able to talk to the people who, you know, my partners and say, hey, I think we should try this or I think we should try that. We should team up with this company. We should team up with that company. And, you know, with Chris's and his, and his marketing kind of background and what he does and the creativity he brings to it, you know, we can do cutting edge things when it comes to financial services. We can do different things. We're trying to do blogs and everything else and there's some regulatory issues around that but i know you guys are gonna be on some content can you post this on linkedin will you be able to no that's no way wild, isn't it? <laughs> this will get no. shot down instantly i know we can it, try though well if you follow like any sort of financial advisor on linkedin it will be like money tip of the day number six yeah, yeah. that's all boring. but you had but that's just the rules those are the rules all right so i get it mike you always wanted to be a boss congrats uh, you're there man <laughs> thanks and and Chris, I imagine, I think I told this, asked you on the phone too, but I imagine you sometimes feel stifled working within a team when you've been entrepreneurial for so long and that's your background. To a degree, yeah, you definitely. Um, as Mike said though, Bay State's sort of an open environment. They give me the, you know, the there, there is definitely the entrepreneurial spirit there. I, I um, you know, come and go as I please. I, um, I you know, I, I work uh, whenever needed. You know, I, I work a lot. You know, I'd say I work more hours than, but there's just not nine to five. So, you know, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, 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 there's, I'm on, you know, on calls with India um, for, you know, website development at, at nine, 10 o'clock at night. I'm, you know, working on Saturdays for the foundation. I'm doing a whole bunch of other things. So um, you, you get that entrepreneurial spirit that, that, that gives me my uh, that entrepreneurial spirit that I that I like. Like Mike says, you know, it's not a nine to five job. We don't punch a clock and um, you know get get the typical like uh, you know two percent cost of living raise that type of thing. So we make our own way. Um, so I, I that satisfies me there. But um, growing yeah, up I mean, though, did you is this what you envisioned? No, I mean obviously I wanted to be a baseball player. I mean I to this day still think I could be a baseball player. So that's you didn't get assumption say oh yeah there's no men's softball league. Yeah. Like, I, really I played in those. We yeah. won yeah. Like I, I've I really done all that stuff. Mike you know? yeah. No, never. What's that? You guys should do like a ping pong duo you two. There you go. I am awful at ping pong. You might I crush everybody. I just want to know how they I'll I'll take you on at skiing but not ping pong. Skiing. So, okay. Well, you're going to race down what Killington? I can do yeah. Beach on a snowboard. Whoa. Um, These business guys get competitive, man. <laughs> and we'll be in the hospital later. Yeah, <laughs> but so it's um, look, I you know, I there's a lot of things I want to do. I mean, I'm I'm not that I'm not that old. I'm not that young. But um, there's I got plenty more left to go. I just had a, you know, I'm um, 50, kid, 50 right? years old, and I got a five month old. So uh, you know, still kicking, still this kicking guy. it, right? So. So I get a long way. That that tells me my retirement. If you have a kid, you, you know that's I'm retiring at 72 years old now because that I'll retire when my son graduates from college. Why retire though? I mean, uh, mind you, I'm young. I'm much younger than both of you, but I love working. Like, yeah, if you could find out, if you could find something you love to do, I I, I kind of agree with you. I don't I don't see myself ever walking away like dropping the keys on the desk and be like, okay, well, where's Mike? I don't know. He retired and he's gone. You, you'll start up another business, maybe. I don't know. Just just. You gotta keep my, my, my like I said. My mother's eighty; she's still running her business. That's awesome. You From know, the golf course. Yeah, I mean, but you wanna, but as you get older and you get to that point where you, you want to be basically work when you want to work and not right. not have some of the responsibilities the you have the now. Operational. Yeah. Yeah. But I can never see myself not working. I get bored. You can only play so much golf and ski so much in your life. You know, it's true. Okay, so I know Boo. You probably gotta leave kind of soon. So I peep in the watch. You leaving? Well, he's got oh, a job. Day job. 
they go. He, you guys need any like computer technology or? Com- you know how to get out of this place. <laughs> um, so quick question, Abu. This probably will cut up as a clip. So, for all the young hustlers out there in finance or getting into finance or corporate structure, are there like two, one or two gems you each could give on? You know what, man? You want to be successful. This is what I've seen tons of successful people do. You guys are surrounded by them all the time. Yep. This is what I did personally to grow my career. Chris. So, you know, I, w- my, I would say, and this, this worked for me, is just, you know, outwork outwork the other guy. I mean, you, you don't, I'm not the smartest guy in the room by any stretch in any room that I'm in, but I'll outwork anybody in that room. And pay attention, ask questions, listen, learn, apply. Um, and just outwork the outwork whoever you're around. You know, find a way to to be relevant. Um, effective persistence, as I like to say. Show them your strength. Deny them your essence. Have that motor. Yeah. Well, I should have went first. Yeah. Oh, um, why is this more boring? No, no. I think that <laughs> I think I think he's right. I think you know. I I talked to four newer advisors we had in Nashville yesterday, and I said to him, "Here's here's a reason why kind of I've gotten to where I am, um, and you can judge where that is." I'll just outwork everybody. It doesn't really matter. Um, but find something you like to do. Don't just work at a job you don't, you don't like. And I've said to everybody, you know, if you think about career, a career as dating, you know, you find the person in eighth grade or whatever, ninth grade, whatever, and you're like, oh, my God, this person has everything I want. And then two months later, you can't stand them. You find somebody else. You think they all have all the great qualities that the old person did and, and all the bad qualities that they don't have. That's your career. Don't be afraid to experiment. Don't be afraid to not like something. Don't feel stuck. Make that match.com profile. There you go. Send there a bunch go. of likes out, a bunch of messages. 100%. And then, just, but then go on some dates. Right, right. And work and be honest. But And don't take it personally. It's business at the end of the day. But just work. Show up and work. And don't think there's no shortcut to success. There really isn't. Unless you get. Yeah. I'm going to just do, ask two more questions, Abu. I know you got to dip. But um, one question is how how can corporate institutions like a lot of my friends are going to work for like a big four accounting firm. Yep. I, I don't really know what the day to day is like for younger guys in your company or younger females. How can people improve the corporate lifestyle? Because a lot of these kids are just dogging it or just doing spreadsheets all day, hating it. They don't really see the effect they're making on the company. Yep. How has Bay State done anything to? revitalize that through candidly through teaming so our our new advisors the guys and gals that are coming in we're putting them together with older advisors shout out to sid warren is he still working at Bay State? Sid, i love sid yeah that's, what, the, that's one of my, great, my great besties dude. from high school yeah sid's the He's best crushing it um, sid's doing great sid's I, I, talked, I, I, I talked i talked to sid psycho. yesterday i talked to sid the other day i go hey how's your weekend he's like good he go, i go what you do saturday he goes i played spike ball all day he's awesome. crazy Go ask Sid his favorite Broadway play. All right, well. Oh, I think we had this guy. I forget what it was. He'll go and see Broadway alone. I know. I know. He's a sicko. I know. I know. <laughs> He's, a He's a great guy. But take Sid. So Sid joined us, graduated from Tufts, right? Pitcher at Tufts. Mm-hmm. Um, he's on a team with with three other guys and doing well. So he's being mentored by a senior guy, which gets him up and running, gives him all like kind of the intellectual property and knowledge that he needs over time. So he's not floundering. But I mean, his day to day. I don't. I haven't talked to him, but he was the one that asked the question. But like, yeah, how do how do you excite the younger employees who might be in this for like a ten, twelve year 
period before they get into promotion or anything. It's re- it's really building a client base, and it's yeah. again, it goes back to that team. So so day one, if they're on a team, they're 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 in the action, if you will. Yeah. They're meeting with clients. They're seeing how people do it. Yeah, they might not be doing the actual work, but they see how they're interacting with the client. Success clients. breeds success, them. too. They're, they're going to have wins. You know, The difference between Bay State and many other firms is we take a lot of that backroom, back office stuff away from them. We have, um, we have a whole sales desk that does a lot of the illustrations for them. They don't have to do it on their own. We have... Uh, uh, attorneys on staff that do a lot of the compliance, do a lot of the um, legal uh, estate planning, wills, trusts, estates, give advice that they don't have to go out and find and build that relationship on their own. So we have a lot of infrastructure. We do all their marketing for them. Um, we, they don't have to build a website. They don't have to maintain a website. They just they're out there in front of the clients all day long and winning. Giving that sales yeah, pitch, winning. Yeah. Yeah. Hey man, let me take care of you. When you have, when you get some success and you taste that, you know what that's like. Yeah, you 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 stay awake at night trying to figure out how do I get that back again. It drives you just like, just like a good golf. Not everybody's like that though, which I've started to notice recently. Right. Some people, I kind of see it like winning for me is like, kind of like a drug to me. It's like I'm not even sound like a psycho, but like I don't even I don't drink and I don't smoke. I just like really love to win. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you feel the same that's way. That's why. That's why you're a dude. Uh, hire me. Man. That's why you're a great <laughs> entrepreneur. But that's. But that's what it takes. I'm not. I. You cannot call me a great entrepreneur yet. We're in the back of a warehouse, man. Give me some time, Mike. I'll get but there. You, but you will. I mean, you started this on your own. I mean, like you, you see, you have vision. Thank you. And that's what it is. It's it's being able to see. Okay, where am I going to take this, or how can I take this? I, you might not know, but you're doing this for a reason, and ultimately that is going to show up someday, right? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna all subscribe to the Rob Report. There you yeah. go. That's what we're gonna do. All gonna buy. Yachts.